faith or the heroes of faith. And uh, let's start in chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, and he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, They might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he hath prepared for them a city. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As we read these verses here in Hebrews chapter 11, I said, already that we call this the hall of faith. And uh, the reality is, I was reading after a writer some time back, I don't remember who it was, maybe Matthew Henry, he made the statement, it really settled in my heart, he said, this is really ordinary people, but they had an extraordinary God. And see, sometimes we read these verses about what these people did, and we think that they were in a, class all by themselves, but these are flesh and blood, just like you and I. And uh, they had obstacles to overcome, and the chapter is, uh, it doesn't try to hide those things, it let, lets us know, and uh, lets us peer into all the odds and the obstacles that these men and women both had to face. We read tonight about Abraham and about Sarah, and how that they had obstacles uh, that they had to face. The Bible said in verse number 8, that Abraham was called to go out and he went and he didn't even know where he was going. That was an obstacle that Abraham had to overcome by faith. Abraham didn't overcome that because he was some supernatural human being, but he overcame it because he had faith in God. And God enabled him to look past the fact that Abraham had no idea where he was going. Abraham was a stranger in the land, but he knew that God had called him to come out of Ur of the Chaldees to leave behind the land of his nativity. And in reality, if you study the scriptures, Abraham was an idol worshiper. His father was an idol worshiper. And yet God, in his sovereignty and his miraculous plan, moved into the life of Abraham and spoke to Abraham and called him out. And Abraham, through the work of God, 
It's not by Abraham's work. Sometimes I'm afraid that we read these verses and we think that these people work these things out for themselves. But these are not the works of men. These are the works of God in the lives of men. And so Abraham had faith and he became the father of faith by the help of God. And the Bible said that he didn't know where he went but he just went out by faith. The Bible said in verse number 11 that Sarah was past age. The odds for Sarah to be able to conceive and bear a child were over. It was was impossible as far as man was concerned and it wasn't because that Sarah was some a supernatural human being but God had already given Abraham a promise and God uh, the Bible said uh, when he could swear by no greater he swore by himself uh, that it was impossible uh, for God to change or God to lie and so God promised Abraham that it wouldn't have mattered to God if Sarah had been 390 he would have still came through with his word as he promised. But God did it when the time was impossible, when the odds were stacked against Abraham and Sarah. Not only was Sarah 90 and it had ceased to be, the Bible said with her, according to the manner of women, but the Bible tells us in the next verse that Abraham was a hundred and he was considered as far as childbearing his concern good as dead. I mean it was an impossibility, but God came through and did for him what nobody else could do. Now I want to tell you tonight in the days that we're living in there are a lot of odds and there are a lot of obstacles in our path as the people of God. And it seems like in these last days uh, that the odds are stacked against us. And they may be stacked against us. Uh, but can I tell you tonight with God uh, on our side, the Bible said if He uh, be for us, who uh, can be against us? Uh, the odds may be stacked against us, uh, but the odds are never stacked against God. He always uh, comes out on top. And it's not the fact that we're on His side or that He's on our side. But God's the side all by Himself. I believe that's right. Ain't that how the angel talked to Joshua that day? When Joshua saw him, Joshua's afraid. Joshua's ringing and twisting his hands. And God spoke to Joshua. He said, just get up and go by yourself down there and look and see what you're coming up against. Maybe it'll help you. And Joshua got down there and the Bible said that he saw a man standing with a sword up on his hand. He said, hey, are you for us or for our adversary? Are you on our side or are you on their side? And it, it would have been right in the story. It would have said, we're on your side, Joshua. But he said, nay. He said, neither. I'm the captain of the host of God. He said, I am the side all by myself. That's right. Sometimes we get too critical and we get caught up in their side and our side. And I understand we're saved. They're not saved. I understand we're the church and they're the world. I understand where that mindset comes from. But let me tell you, it's not about my side and it's not about their side, but it's about God's side. And He's the side all by Himself. That matters not my ability. That matters not my know-how. That matters not my skill. That matters not my faults or my failures. I'm glad God's side always comes out on top. Like how the Bible words it, that He giveth us the victory. That's what the Bible said through Christ Jesus our Lord. That He is triumphant 
He always has been. We have a mighty captain that never has lost a battle. So there are odds and obstacles against us, just as there were against Abraham and against Sarah. If we'd have backed up one verse and picked up in verse number 7, we'd have read about a man by the name of Noah, and the odds and obstacles were all stacked against Noah. I mean, here's a man who says he's got a word from God that it's going to rain. And it never has before. They don't know anything about this rain that Noah's speaking about. Not only is Noah preaching that God is going to let it rain, that God's going to let it rain so much that it's going to flood the whole earth. And the only way to escape is to get on board this wooden boat that he's got a command and a blueprint from an invisible God that they know nothing about. And the only way to get saved or to be saved is to get on board the ark. And they walk by and tell him that he's lost his mind. But they try to keep their children, no doubt. Now, I know I'm reading between the lines, but put yourself in their shoes. Uh, if some uh, nut comes on the scene, I mean, that's where they, that's how they thought about Noah. He was a nut. And they thought he's lost his mind. He does not know what he's talking about. But there came a day that the Bible said the floods came and took them away. Came to pass just like God said it would. And the Bible said everybody in the ark was saved. And they didn't get saved. I want you to listen to me. And I, I don't know exactly where the Lord's wanting to go with this. I'm just trying to follow Him. It, they weren't saved because Noah was an expert builder. They were not saved because Noah was a fine craftsman. They were not saved because Noah knew how to fit the boards together and put the roof on and build and cut and glue and all the things that they had. They were saved because Noah obeyed God. And God had the blueprint. And God had the design. And it's still the same today. But we're not saved because of what we do. Too many people wrestle about what they're supposed to pray or what they're supposed to say or what they're supposed to do. It's not in all of that. It's in obedience to the command of God. That's right. Noah was saved. Noah was not some supernatural man. He was an ordinary man. But he found grace in the eyes of God. And God gave him faith. The Bible said he moved with fear of the grace of God made Noah afraid of the judgment to come. And that same grace that gave him the blueprint of how to escape the judgment to come. And just the same as it is for us today. It's the grace of God that brings conviction into our hearts and troubles us about our lost condition. John Newton wrote it. He said it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And then it was that same grace my fears relieved. And he said all of a sudden that grace that I didn't understand that didn't seem like grace. He said how precious did that grace appear in the hour I first believed. It was in obedience to the plan and the command of God. But I thought about and the Lord began to deal with my heart this afternoon. And then as we sung tonight about, I know it will be. I began to read these verses and got down through all the odds and obstacles and got down to verse number 13. Now if you and I were writing the Scriptures, we wouldn't have put this verse in here. Because the Bible said they all died in faith, not having received the promises. But what the Scripture is saying is some of these did not yet receive what they believed to receive. 
But the Bible said, having seen them afar off. They said, how'd they do that? By faith. Last I thought about, and I mean, I'm just pretty common sensed. I don't know how you can see a promise. But I do read in verse number one, where it says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And so these died in faith, not having having received them, but seeing them afar off. And look what it says, and were persuaded of them. It didn't matter to Abraham He's looking for a city which have foundations whose builder and maker's God. He ain't received it yet, but he's got down to the end of his age and he's going to die physically in this world. But it didn't matter to Abraham. He still was persuaded that there was such a city and that he would see such a city. Why? Because he was persuaded of the promise of God. That word persuaded means that they were confident, that they were convinced, that they were assured, that they had evidence to believe. And not only were they persuaded, but the Bible said they embraced them. At the end of their life, they're dying, not having yet received them, but they're still clinging to the promise of God. Persuaded that as God said it would be, it would be. See, here's the reality. Abraham had come far enough with God to know that what God said would come to pass. Oh, there were days that Abraham faltered. There were days that Abraham uh, thought he knew what the plan of God was. But according to the Scriptures now, and we're hard on Abraham, but according to the Scriptures, he never did not believe what God said. That's what the Bible said. He staggered not in unbelief. He believed that it could be and would be as God said. But there came a time in Abraham's life he thought he knew what God meant or how God was going to do. Or maybe it was God's plan for him to do it on his own. But that was never the plan of God. But then at 90 for Sarah and 100 for Abraham, that little boy named Isaac was born and they named him Isaac which means laughter because Sarah laughed and God said why have you laughed? Is anything too hard for God? And Sarah said now all women will laugh with me. That Sarah, who would have said that Sarah would conceive in her old age and bring forth a son? Now this promised child has come and Abraham is observing and it's been mentioned in services here. I mentioned it. Brother Tim's mentioned it in Sunday school. Other people have mentioned it. Abraham is taking note of God's track record and figuring out that God has never failed and God's never come short. And Abraham knows that he's looking for a city whose builder and maker's God and he's not yet seen it. He's not yet received it. But by faith, he's laid hold on it and he's not going to let go. He's persuaded. Now I want to say in these days, I felt like this is what I need to say and I'm done here in just a minute. I feel like here we are in these last days. We've made it to... 2023, I don't know how much more time 
we have here. I don't know when the Lord's coming. I think He's soon coming. I believe we're living in the last of the last days. But I know that with every day that goes by, it seems like the odds and the obstacles get greater and greater against the people of God. But I want to say there ought to be some things that we're persuaded of. There ought to be some things here we are going into 2023 that ought to be, we ought to know, be on the shadow of doubt, lay hold on, be convinced of, be assured of, going into this year just as sure as we were coming out of the last one. There's some things to be assured of. There's some things that man's trying to change. And religion is trying to change. But you and I know through the Scriptures and the workings of the Holy Ghost that there are some things that God has laid down and we better be persuaded of them. And I thought the Lord laid three things on my heart. Now I'm going to give them to you real quick and I'm done. I want to say we ought to be persuaded about the means of salvation. It's not changing. And it's not going to change. I'm glad I know that it still takes conviction of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad I know that it still takes a call of God to repentance. I'm glad I know it still takes repentance. But Paul said it's repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in a day where they want to take repentance out. But it takes repentance. And it'll take godly sorrow, God working in your heart to make you sorry over your own sin. It's godly sorrow that worketh repentance. And I'm glad I know when there is repentance that it brings a conversion. That God makes a new creature out of you. And when you become a new creature, there'll be a change in you that them old things have passed away and all them new things are new. And that they are of God. And that God puts it in us. He reconciles us to Himself. I'm glad I know what it means to be saved. And I'm glad what it'll take. Now, I've got confidence in God. I'm not saying that there are not times that I get my eye on the odds and get my eyes on the obstacles. We all do. It's part of living in the flesh. And there are great odds stacked against our children and great obstacles in the way of our children and our grandchildren. But I've got confidence in the same God that saved me is going to be the same God in the same way that saves our young people around here. I'm persuaded of that. I want to say tonight we ought to be persuaded about the message of the church. It never has changed. Oh, mankind has tried to change it. And mankind has tried to add their spin or add their flair. But I'm going to tell you the message of the church tonight is still the same message that Noah preached in his day. And he was a preacher of righteousness, preached for at least 120 years. And he preached that the judgment of God was coming, but there was an escape if you'd get on board while there's time. While the door's open. I thought about it in that red back book. There's a song. We don't really sing it around here. But I've heard it sung and have sung it some in other churches. And the writer says, We've heard the joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I'm glad that's still the message of the church. 
Jesus say? That's the message. It's not about Paul debated and talked with them and we've went over some of it in Sunday school, but Paul is going to talk about it more, about that God did not send him to practice ordinances, to baptize, or to carry out things, to visit. He said, God sent me to preach the gospel. And that's the main business of the church is to preach the gospel. And I'm glad I know that. I'm glad I'm persuaded of that. And then I thought, and this is one thing that's not heard about too much in these days. I want to say there's a ministry for the people of God we better be persuaded of. There's some things God's called for us to do, given us to do. We read that verse or quote that verse so often in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that I quoted just a minute ago and quoted this morning, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things have passed away, all things have become new and all things are of God. He talked about that God reconciled us to Himself and now hath committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. He said to wit that God was in the world, was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself and that made us ambassadors giving us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, what does that word reconcile means? It means to bring both parties back to peace. God is committed to the church, the ministry. It doesn't mean that we save folks, but we preach the gospel. We live the life. We shine the light to let them know that the same God that saved us and reconciled us and brought us to peace with God can do the same for them. And then there's the ministry of restoration and that's not preached very much but I'm glad I still know it's right. Galatians chapter 6 said if, he's, uh, if you brethren see a man overtaken in a fault ye which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. I'm glad I know that God has given the church not the preacher the church the ministry of restoration. And God said it was a mark of spirituality to be able to restore a brother. That word restore means to mend, to pick up the broken pieces, to strengthen, to help, to prop up. We live in a day where rather than restoring them, we want to reject them. And the church wants to push them out. And the church don't want them to come back. And the church don't want anything to do with them. That's not... Paul said if you're spiritual... Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Not to boast and brag, look at me, look what I'm doing, look how I'm helping them, look how good I am, look how low they are. It's not, he said in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, Paul said, you ought to help your brother when he's down realizing that just a few days down the road you could be the one in the same shape he's in and you'd want somebody to help you. That's what Paul's saying. Consider yourself. Put yourself in their shoes. If you were in their shape, what would you want the church to do for you? And that's how we ought to act. That's how we ought to respond. It's not considering ourselves thinking that we're better than anybody. It's considering that if we were there and that we could be there and by the grace of God we're not there. We would want somebody to help us. 
We need the ministry of restoration. And then I thought about, and I'm done. I don't know if you've got anything out of it tonight, but I hope maybe it's helped your heart. I want to say there's a ministry, and it is a ministry in the church of refreshing. That we need some people who will refresh the brethren. Paul used the word exhort. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more, as you see the day approaching. The word exhort means to strengthen. It means to lift the spirits. It literally means to refresh. It gives the picture of a drink of cold water on a hot day. And Paul not only uses the word exhort, but he's going to use the word refresh. He's going to talk about Onesimus. And he said, he oft refreshed me. Paul said there were days that my spirit was low. There were days when I was weak. There were days when I didn't know that I could go on. And then there came this man. We don't know much about him. We read about his name once or twice in the scriptures. But Paul called it out. Paul let it be known that he oft, not just once in a while. Paul said he oft refreshed me. And there have been often times in my life that I've come into the house of God, feel like I was in the desert, in the hot sun, and I could not make it another mile. <clears throat> but thank God for some men and women who have been an Onesimus, who have been an exhorter, who have been a refresher in my time of need. And the reality is we all know that we need that from time to time and so we ought to strive to be that for someone from time to time. Just to be an exhorter. To be, I believe, you'll never convince me any different in studying the Scriptures, I believe that exhortation is a gift. I believe God gives it greatly to certain people. I believe there are certain people that are given that gift. And I don't use that word charismatically. But God blesses people with the ability to exhort the people. But also believe that it is evident in the life of every child of God at some point in their life that God will bless them with a word to be an exhorter for the people. And if you ever find that God gives you the opportunity, I thought about as Paul and his company that was with him walked into the synagogue that day and they went through their routine and did what they normally do. Then the Bible said that the leader beckoning with the hand, motioned for Paul and his company. And he said, if any of you, not just Paul, and I, I think if you study the Scriptures, you'll find that Paul had the gift of exhortation. The Bible said they took him outside the city and stoned him and left him for dead. And he got up, walked back into the city, and he exhorted them. He had that gift, but they didn't just beckon for Paul. They said, if you, Paul, or any of those men, any of those people that are with you, if any of you have a word for the people, say on. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a day in your life that God puts a word for the people. On your heart. A word of exhortation. A word to lift the spirits. A word to rejoice us. A word to strengthen us. A word to refresh us. 
If God ever does that, you ought to say on. You ought to say what, now I'm talking about God, not talking about drumming up something. If God puts it in you, it's for a purpose. And we ought to be persuaded that there are times that we need some refreshing. I'm glad for the God we serve. I'm glad He does all things well. I'm grateful tonight. I thought about here we are, and I mentioned it a lot today. This year's been kind of different and special, I guess you could say. Which the Lord's Day ought to always be special, but we've met on Christmas Day and we've met on New Year's Day. What a blessing to be in the house of God. I'm glad I know. I don't know what 2023 holds. I don't know what's going to be ahead of us. But I'm glad I know the same God that brought me through 2022 is going to be the same one that will see me through this one. And He's never failed me. And He won't fail me now. He's got a good track record. And if I live until tomorrow, sometime in the night, I don't know what the time on the clock was, but if I live till tomorrow, I'll be saved 17 years tomorrow. And Lord willing, I'll be in a meeting preaching tomorrow night. And that's a blessing to me. And I thought about what a better, what better way, what a better thing to do on the day you got born again than to be in the house of God around the people of God. And I've come a a long way and I'm not boasting on me. I've seen a lot of things, been through a lot of hard times and so have you. But I'm glad just like Abraham and Sarah and Noah and all the others that we read about, same God that brought them through is the same God that's brought us through. And John Newton wrote, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. And it's grace that's brought me safe thus far. It'd be grace that'll lead me home. I'm grateful for it tonight. Father, I thank you tonight for the privilege and the opportunity to be in the house of God with your people. Thank you for the Word of God.